you join me in a prayer for illumination? Lord, we're so thankful that we can come into church today with so much joy. Lord God, remembering that we must let our light shine even in this place. Speak to us today through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture for today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Let us listen to God's word to us. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Not no lie to you. My job would be way less complicated today if that last verse just wasn't the word of God. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, bummer. You know, whenever people talk about why Jesus matters, one of the most common themes is that Jesus is different from the God of the Old Testament. Right? The God of the Old Testament, he was judgmental. It was all about what you did following the law. And when people messed up, it was destruction and curses. But Jesus, Jesus forgives. He's about mercy and compassion. He's doing away with the angry God of the Old Testament and replacing it with the God that just wants to forgive our sins. But not in this verse. Here Jesus seems to have read our minds and goes, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So the Old Testament stays. But maybe, just maybe, we're off the hook for the weird stuff, you know? Maybe we could update the parts that seem a little outdated. You know, combining polyester and cotton, for example. Jesus reads our minds again. Not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, not even the curl on the tail of the letter D will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Well, so the whole Old Testament stays, the laws, the prophets. But maybe we only need to worry about the important stuff, like the parts that Jesus quotes. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, stuff like that. And 
here comes Jesus again. Oh, by the way, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And I almost forgot, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Pharisees usually come off as villains in the Gospels, for good reason. They're consistently opposed to what Jesus is up to. The Pharisees are always trying to catch him in some sort of trap, get him in trouble with the Romans. But don't get confused. When Jesus says your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, he is not setting the bar low. Pharisees missed the memo on Jesus, but they were all about being righteous. When they tithed, they didn't just tithe on income. They would measure out one-tenth of the spices they grew. These guys didn't just read scripture. They memorized it. And not a few verses like we're doing. They memorized books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of the Psalms. As for the laws that Jesus is talking about, they would wear a little box with God's commands in it on their forehead because we're told to fix it on our hearts and on our head. That's the Pharisees. Righteous? Yeah. Christians didn't like them, but most people loved them. The Pharisees were Jewish rock stars. They kept all the commands from beards to fabrics to dietary habits. Which makes me a little uncomfortable. Because Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes or Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Not if you try hard, it's all good. Unless you exceed their righteousness, never. Not it's unlikely, never. Not 50-50, never. In the words of Taylor Swift, you and God are never, ever, ever getting back together. (laughs) Like ever. (laughs) What makes this verse so hard for us is that this isn't the angry, judgy God of the Old Testament talking. This is Jesus. Jesus, the picture, the nice one that we have in our head. And he's saying, all those laws, yeah, they're not going anywhere. And those guys, the ones who are counting out leaves of basil, Unless you can be holier than them, don't expect to get into my kingdom. I'm not going to lie to you. My job would be less complicated today if that verse just wasn't the word of God. But it is. Jesus isn't wrong. He's right. We have to be more righteous than the Pharisees to be worthy of God's presence. In the Old Testament, God told his people that he would dwell in the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever they carried the Ark, that's where his presence was. Once, a man touched the ark by accident. They were carrying it on a cart, and the cart hit a bump, and the ark was tipping off the cart, and being the good man that he was, he went out to touch it to make sure it didn't fall. Dropped dead on the spot. He wasn't righteous enough to be in the presence of God. That's still true. God isn't just better than we are. He's so perfect, so holy, so pure, so worthy those words are actually defined by who God is. God is worthy of perfection, worthy of perfect obedience to every law, every moment of our lives. To warrant his presence, we must be perfectly holy, more righteous than the Pharisees.
fact doesn't change with Jesus. What God deserves doesn't decrease, it only increases. It's only more true because God came himself to earth, set aside his divine power to live beside us. The perfect God that made us and then was abandoned by us came to earth himself to pay our penalty so we can return back to his presence. Jesus only increases God's righteousness. So unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So now what? Do we all need to start wearing boxes and counting out leaves of basil? How do we enter the kingdom of heaven when our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? And frankly, there's only one answer to that question. By putting on the righteousness of Christ, like putting on a coat. We put on Christ's righteousness. Our sinfulness and imperfection is covered by his perfect obedience. God is willing to overlook everything else if we put on Christ. This, this putting on Christ, this dwelling in God's presence, this is what allows us to be with God. We get to dwell in the presence of God now. The God who dreamed up anteaters and manatees and quantum mechanics, who inspired Beethoven and Picasso, we get to dwell in his presence now. But this is a privilege reserved for those covered by the righteousness of Christ. Dwelling in God's presence is a privilege for those who are righteous, which means it's for those who have put on the righteousness of God. And when we know that, the rest of the text makes a lot more sense. Jesus looks at his followers and he gives them two images. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Don't overthink these images. Salt has a purpose. It gives taste. Light has a purpose. It gives light. It makes things visible. When you put on the righteousness of Christ, you are called to be the light of the world, which is possible because it's God's light that you now carry. When you put on the righteousness of Christ, you are also called to be the salt of the earth. Now when salt loses its saltiness, what do you do? Throw it out. Salt that doesn't have any taste isn't salt anymore. When salt doesn't taste like salt, it's really not anything. When you have a dishwasher that no longer cleans your dishes anymore, your plates and your cups, it just sprays water to create a breeding ground for bacteria. It's not really a dishwasher anymore, so you throw it out. When your car has tires and the tire blows out, it's still a tire. But you don't drive around town on a piece of shredded rubber, sparks flying, tire rims hitting the pavement. Throw it out. I think this is so interesting because Jesus makes the same point about the church. The point of salt is taste, and when it loses its saltiness, it's not salt. When light's put in a box, it's no longer light, it's darkness. When church ceases to have flavor and give off light, it ceases to be church. Did you catch it? When church ceases to have flavor, and give off light, it ceases to be church. Honestly, I love this. 
I love the image of the church as light, but I love the salt one even more. Out of all the adjectives you associate with church, how about flavorful? Not usually, but it makes perfect sense. After all, putting on the righteousness of Jesus means we have the privilege to live in the presence of God, the God who dreamed up anteaters and manatees and quantum mechanics. That God has got to have a sense of humor. So much flavor. Does anteaters look ridiculous? Or sloths? Have you seen a sloth? They look ridiculous. The God that created sloths has to have a sense of humor. God has flavor. He's funny. So the church should be too. There's this video out there making fun of contemporary music, contemporary Christian music. It's a band and two agents of a Christian recording company. They've heard the band on YouTube and they want to sign them for a contract. Get the non-Christian radio right away. They have the formula to do so. First, a guitar. Then three chords, A, D, and G. The holy trinity of Christian music. Second, you have to talk about vague struggles, nothing to make anybody uncomfortable or anything controversial. Use geographic references to talk about it all. Storm, valley, desert. Then transition to some general Christian terms, right? That's the formula. It might go something like this. Seek his mercy in the valley. Grace. In the storm, you'll find his face. Yes, I wrote that myself. <laughs> Contemporary Christian radio. The issue there is simple, right? It doesn't have any flavor. It's the raw tofu of the music world. <laughs> to be fair, I like contemporary Christian music, and not all contemporary music is like that. And the contemporary music crowd will throw that same criticism right back at the traditional one. Too stuffy, no emotion. If your song sounds like a textbook, if it doesn't get your foot tapping and your tear ducts working every once in a while, you might need some salt, some flavor. Because we're in the presence of God, the one who is redeeming the world by the power of his son, who walks with us through financial hardships, through relationships, through death, as well as through moments of joy and hope that we can't even put into words. Responding to that God, it requires some flavor. It requires saltiness. Three chords and vague struggles, it's not going to do it. Rote recitation isn't going to do it. It's got to be belly laughs. Worship and ministries need to come from a place somewhere deep enough that people can look and say, Oh, I get it. God has salt. There was this pastor who led this church on a mission trip somewhere in Africa where they were building a school. No one on their site spoke English, and he spoke enough of their language to get by. Some of the locals asked him what his job was. He doesn't know the word for pastor, so he starts trying to explain it. He doesn't know the word for a sermon, so he says, Well, I talk to people about their lives, and I visit people, and I care about people, I help. The locals cut in, they go, We get it. You're a professional, nice person. 
<laughs> Professional, nice person. You want to know the truth? That moment caused a full-blown crisis for this pastor. He went home thinking, my gosh, is that all I am? A professional, nice person? He decided in the end they might be right. He'd forgotten to add salt into his ministry and had become a professional, nice person. When the church forgets to add salt to our spiritual lives, we become professional, nice people. What is church? Well, you wave at a neighbor, don't use bad words, Give someone a smile. It's like the boredom diet. We are not professional nice people. We have more flavor than that, more depth than that. We are gathered together in the presence of God, the God that died on the cross for our sins, but also the God who thought it might be funny to create an animal who eats ants through its nose. <laughs> No, I've met some stuffy Presbyterians in my life. <laughs> they made a point of keeping the church on a low-sodium diet. Professional, nice people. But we aren't just Presbyterians. We are Cumberland Presbyterians, a breed apart. So here at Scottsboro Cumberland Presbyterian Church, we try to keep the salt shaker ready. We try to laugh in the church, sing music that speaks to the depth of our lives, the good and the bad. We try to dream dreams that have flavor because we are living in the presence of God, the Almighty, and His Son, Jesus Christ, that saved us. And we are filled with the very Spirit of God. How do we enter the kingdom of heaven if our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? Not by counting leaves of basil, but by putting on the righteousness of Christ. And when you do, when you do, you will be privileged enough to see a world that is full of light and salt. Visible, not boring, rich with flavor. So that when people leave this place, I truly hope they say, Oh, I get it. God has salt. Let us pray. Lord, we believe that you are creating us into a people to look like you. And to look like you, we must be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And Lord, today, I simply pray that you remind us to laugh, to smile, to bring joy to our lives and to this place. That even though hard things may happen, we are the salt of the earth. The people that bring flavor to your kingdom. Teach us to follow you with courage. To hold our light high, that everyone may know that we follow the living God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.